Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Going to be talking some uh, legal issues around sports and otherwise with uh, Justin Watkins here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. He's our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider. Is uh, fired up to be at the uh, BBBC today. Angels here. It's Cofield. Ari is uh, way across town. Not really over at the Finley Toyota Studios in uh, about forty minutes. We'll talk a little baseball and we'll get into the uh, sticky stuff and all the controversy in baseball and what's going to happen as they've set some new rules here. Uh, they don't seem to have a lot of teeth, but we'll get the uh, take from Dave Koken on that and also how to bet in reacting to what's going on with what looks like something that could have a big effect on pitchers and their effectiveness. And we know they've been unbelievable to this point, and we were trying to put our finger on what the hell was going on, why the hitters were hitting for such a low average and why strikeouts were up so much. Well, Baseball has nailed it, but of course, baseball isn't really going to do anything about it, at least not with any tease. So we'll get into that towards the end of the hour. It's time for the three presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. So newsflash, the Olympics actually start in about five weeks, and it's one of the favorite events on TV for many people around the country, especially very casual sports fans. We get into it a little bit. Broadcast combos are being put together. Now that Kenny Main is available, former UNLV guy, right? Former UNLV quarterback, football quarterback, and uh, recently leaving ESPN. Kenny Main is going to be part of what looks like a uh, nightly Olympic show for NBC Sports. It's not locked in yet, but it's possible. But Carrie Champion, who was also on ESPN and now does her show on Vice, Vice, right? Vice with Jamel Hill. Carrie Champion is going to be co-hosting for sure. And then Kenny Main could be alongside. We have not talked about the wackiness with the Olympics as it's been developing the last few weeks. So, like I said, it's five weeks away. Reading a good story about three weeks ago in the LA Times by Dylan Hernandez. uh, Dylan Hernandez. um, The mood in Japan is anything but excited. Uh, Japan has had very few problems with COVID because they've shut down the country. You can't get in and out of Japan. And they're not super high on the vaccine. So... Most of the population is still susceptible to COVID. So you're going to have thousands and thousands and thousands of athletes coming to Japan. The wish would be that same deal would happen with fans. I don't think that's going to happen. But it's gotten so bad in Japan. There's so much hatred for the Olympics and so much hatred towards some of the leaders in Japan because most people there don't want the Olympics. They don't want the outsiders coming in to the country that it, it's gotten so bad that most advertisers, local advertisers in Japan have dropped off because it's seen as such a negative that if you actually sponsor the Olympics, you may destroy your business. Like it's that unpopular and we're five weeks away 
and there's been no determination. I mean, the determination is it's going on. So the U.S. Olympic trials are happening right now in various sports. I know uh, track and fields later this week in Eugene. I think the swimming's going on right now. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this thing unfolds in a country that does not want the Olympics there at all, unless something changes down the stretch. I don't see how it's going to change unless the entire country changes its general philosophy and and gets vaccinated. They, they don't want us there. They don't want anyone to come into their country. So that's uh, what's going on with the Olympics in terms of the broadcast team. And uh, a lot of that will be streamed on Peacock TV. So hopefully that'll work out for everyone. If you don't know how to find Peacock, you can you can find it. Uh, Golden Knights win last night. Uh, one of the big things we didn't get to in hour number one about that 4-1 win and taking a one nothing lead in the series was how amazing Flurry was in that first period. Um, I thought second period, he, you know, he, he didn't face a whole lot early third period. He didn't face a whole lot. Then he got a barrage down the stretch, but you, you saw the, the, the shot count, uh, from about, I don't know, six minutes left in the first until the middle of the third, really not move very much. I think it was 11, seven late first. And, uh, you know, you could look up in the third period, early third period, it was at like 16. They just were not getting shots or things were closed down. And, uh, Flurry talked about, uh, Montreal early on the first 10 minutes were dynamic and they were dangerous. And the Knights got out of the gates a little bit slow, but here's Flurry as he spoke to NBC talking about what uh, Montreal had offered and maybe a, a little insight of what to look for in the next game. They had some speed, they had some, a uh, little bit of chaos in front, turned a lot of box uh, on the net, you know, in my feet or in, anywhere <laughs> towards the net, you know, and they always have guys around there. So it's a little bit of a scramble here and there, but I thought when we, once we got going, we are fine. Yep, they were fine once they got going and things got a little bit easier until the, uh, the very end of the game when Carey Price was pulled from net, uh, no more goatee. These are the things we noticed. Very important stuff. We're not doing a whole lot on the beach ball today because I actually didn't see what the hell was going on, but I guess that blew up on Twitter. It was funny. That just shows you how comfy the Vegas fans were, how much of a blowout it was because, uh, you know, if you're watching the game, all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're doing the wave, and now we've got a, a beach ball. Uh, I mentioned Carrie Price. Uh, Pierre McGuire was talking about Price and Flurry and was asking a question of uh, Flurry. Uh, if he actually worries about that matchup with the guy across the way. You no, know, I don't feel I'm playing against Gary, right? I got to worry about the, the shooters, and those are the guys that I got, I'm playing against and I got to save, you know. Uh, I see Gary made some, some awesome saves tonight. Uh, it was good that we were, we were able to get some goals. Carey Price did make some impressive saves. He was fun to watch until I think he got broken mentally in the third, and we'll see how he bounces back. Uh, how he bounces back. He's a very accomplished goalie, so I'm sure he'll be fine. But it does have to suck at a point in the game when you're looking across the way and you're like, they're only coming at me, and we're not threatening them the other way. This is getting completely ridiculous. And then, you know, a, a little nuanced question. I thought this was pretty interesting from Pierre Maguire and, you know, something to watch for game two and the rest of the series. Uh, Flurry, when he does have a chance to get the puck with no one around, uh, you know, one of the skill sets – of all the goaltenders is what they do in terms of their stick work and helping out other guys on the team. I know it's one thing that you've worked on a lot, but how much do you think puck handling will affect the outcome of this series? Because your puck handling was outstanding here in game one. It started rough a bit. I <laughs> got cut off on the first play, but after that, uh, it was a little better. And, you know, if I can help the other guys to uh, break out easier, then uh, that's a good thing. There you go. Marc-Andre Fleury. On NBC, and now Flurry continues to climb the ladder. You would think, unless there's a complete disaster on the horizon, that he's going to move into third before too long. All-time playoff wins for goaltenders. You've now got uh, the leader, Patrick Waugh, 151. All right, that one's a little far off. 
Martin Brodeur with 113. We'll see how long Marc-Andre Fleury plays. Uh, Grant Fuhr is at 92, and Maff is at 90. And all part of an incredible story, because remember coming into this year, a lot of people were like, why is this guy on the team? He should have been traded. There's no way they should be uh, spending this much money on goalies. And the last year, hey, it's Leonard's team now. Offseason, five-year deal. That's it. He's done. Fleury's gone. Fleury's gone. Fleury's gone. He ain't. He's still here, and he's still winning games. And he got the uh, Knights out to a one nothing lead last night with an awesome first period and then shut the door uh, down the stretch as Price was pulled from the net. All right, more on the Golden Knights and uh, what our buddy Justin Watkins saw. He's a longtime fan of the team. We're here at Battleborn uh, Broadcast Center. We'll get into that. And also, what's going on in the state of Texas? They're the latest ones to jump on board with the name, image, likeness, uh, likeness set of rules. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Here's how Vegas pulled away from the avalanche. Now out in front, Tuck puts it toward the goal, and it's tipped in at the back door. Matthias Yenmark waiting for it at the left post. And the Knights lead three to one. Seven minutes to go, second period. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. That was a big goal. Yep, that was a big goal. That kind of, I'm not going to say it officially stomped out the chances of the Canadians, but Justin Watkins is here with us. There was a feeling like, okay, you know what? Maybe they got a shot. Maybe they got a shot. And then 50, almost, almost, almost instantly, Dunsky. Yep, yep. And, and you know, when I saw that play live, I was like, what an incredible pass by Tuck. But it was it was a couple fortunate little bounces on the way to Yanmark. Yeah. But Yanmark was in the right spot, man. And he put it in. So, I mean, the, the only the, – the real criticism I had of last night's game was the our, – our penalty kill has been figured out. Ever since the end of the Minnesota series, Minnesota got it figured out there in the last two games. Colorado had it figured out the entire series. And the fact that they didn't, you know, Caulfield should have buried it the first time. The second time, it was such a wide open net. And they did the exact same thing. After he missed the first time, they cycled it back around, did the exact same thing, and the exact same opportunity appeared. So if I'm going to be critical, it's, you know what, our penalty kill needs to get back to what it was during the regular season, which was the best in the league. And our power play is at some it's point, I know. <laughs> at some point, like just statistically, yeah. we have to start burying some of these chances. Now, I mean, we buried a goal, what, 10 seconds after the power play ended, right. you know, when we were still in the ozone based on the end of the power play. So you can give some credence to that uh, and make you feel a little bit better about it. But if, if the Golden Knights are going to win the Stanley Cup, the power play has to come through at some clip north of 20%. I mean, it has to come in. We talked to Adam Hill last night on our late night podcast. So we did a post game like we do for all these Golden Knights games. And Adam did say, and he's covering the the Hab side of things, that uh, there were some Canadians uh, players that mentioned the the fact that they got they got involved in power plays, you know, because of stupid penalties. That maybe they wore down a little bit trying to kill the penalties, so oh, that it did have a it did have a positive effect, even if it didn't directly lead to a goal. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that I think that's right, but. I think going over, over and over again on a yeah. on a power play can change the momentum the opposite way. And we've saw that a bunch of times with our penalty kill yeah. during the regular season, where the penalty kill was just 
not even letting people in the zone for the full two minutes. And then after the penalty kill was over, we're in their, in their zone the whole time. And it seemed like it switched momentum our way. So I don't think that happened last night. I don't think the, the, the power play lost the momentum of the game. I think the Habs players are right. I think that that seemed to mark the switch in the momentum of the game going from they had a good first 15 minutes of the game right. to uh, to the Golden Knights taking over for the, for the last, you know, 45. Did you think part of – maybe I'm just judging it off of the production, but part of the reason that the defensemen were so productive that they were able to be even more aggressive and pinch in is a little bit of a lack of respect for the counter? Oh, that they're I, not going against the Wild and they're certainly not going against the Avs? I think it's two things, you know, in my – very developed right, and mature right. four-year fandom. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think there's there's two things I saw. One, it seems that the Habs offense is based on transition. So they are trying to create a scenario in which there's odd man rushes. And in order to do that, they have to play a little loose themselves, which that's our game. Like, okay, if that's the game they want to play, fine. Like, clearly we were more than happy to engage in that type of game. And when they were engaged in that game, I think it just gave the blue liners uh, more freedom to go ahead and, and let it fly. And they did. And you know what? I mean, Carey Price made a couple of awesome stops, but I'm going to say that every one of those goals by the defenseman was legit. No funny bounces, really good goals. Holden held onto the, to the puck just long enough to clear the net. Shays was a rocket. Uh, you know, and and Martinez off of the Shea fake was just sick. It was the play of the night. It was the play of the <laughs> I night. I know it's great, especially since the yeah, and that that's another positive. Theodore's becoming more dangerous. Obviously, Petrangelo is looking more and more comfortable. So, uh, sky's the limit for this group. And hey, they still got to hold home ice and and get the job done in game number two. As the Knights advance in the playoffs, and more eyes are on the Knights from Canada and nationally because of you know, big NBC or, you know, everything kind of gets hyper-focused on the Final Four, you start to feel the Knights' hatred again from around the country. One, the expansion draft stuff. Can we stop, please? Yeah. Well, that's how, 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 how many key – that? Yep. But also, look at the roster. How many key contributors now – like, the, the, the misfit line is not the number one line. They had to go out and build that line. They've done this through aggressive trades. They've gone out and got star players when they were available – they're committed to winning. Those players were all of and then and then it's the the, the support guys. Mm-hmm. And I was yelling in the first hour, like I didn't hear anyone with Jan Mark and Stevenson and especially Martinez go, Rich get richer. Yep. Unbelievable. The league just handing player. No one said anything. And though and they've they've nailed almost every one of those. We'll call them not this is not an insult. They've nailed those minor acquisitions. Oh man. I mean, I think Martinez, I I don't know how we keep him. But, man, that guy seems to be the glue on the defensive, and he's such a good player. I mean, he's he's clearly playing injured. He hasn't skated. Oh, man. Not in he, game. he went down early on one of the blocks. And, and stayed like, in. Yeah. Like, the guy's yeah. a warrior. I love Martinez. And I, I, I love that, uh, you know, all oh, the expansion draft was so friend, you know, so friendly. The people from the expansion draft, the players who are still on this team, the Misfit line, the Tuck and the Theodores, those were the players that they gave us draft picks specifically to take they, them. To take it's not like we poached them. Those teams specifically said, don't take these guys. We'll give you picks to take those guys. And so, it, it, you know, it's such revisionist history. You know, obviously in year one, we were picked last. We were picked to be terrible. Everybody said so. And only the fact that we turned it around. Uh, and then, you know what? Bottom line, 
ownership gm president you know they from the word go have said we're going after it you know we're gonna try to make the big acquisition the big splash every time and it's and it's awesome but yeah okay vgk hatred let's let's bring it on i mean you're doing something right if you're getting kind of that kind of hatred i guess there was a beach ball in the crowd last night and (laughs) uh, and i also you know you could you could see and hear the crowd was doing the wave as it felt real comfortable down the stretch a blaine on twitter said that i really just see a beach ball in the crowd then the Golden Knights wonder why they are one of the most hated fan bases. Last I checked, I wasn't watching a water sport or at the beach. Show a little class and respect. What a what, There is a group of fans in the NHL who are the biggest lame asses, and you guys are the reason the sport is dying on NBC. ESPN's coming in to save things. You should embrace stuff like this. Have fun. Stop telling us or telling me the sport is fine on its own. Yeah. Why can't why can't you make things even more fun? That's that's what I think is the worst take of these, you know, quote unquote traditional hockey fans is like, hey, this is the best sport in the world. Yeah, I know we're only fifth or sixth in viewership, but it's just because nobody gets to watch the games. Nobody goes to a game. Well, you've got to make it fun, man. If you want the sport to grow, if you want more fans, then you need to embrace like, Hey, like the league has, like Gary Bettman has embrace what Vegas is doing because Mm -hmm. it's different. If you go to a Vegas golden Knights game and you look at the crowd, just look at the crowd and go to any other arena in the NHL and look at the crowd. It is demographically different. So it's more diverse, way more diverse. Come on. I mean, it's not there's nobody even remotely in the neighborhood of what Vegas has both racially and age-wise how in about, the how about gender and gender the amount of women that are at the games tons people tons. people dressed up I mean you told us last year you go to an abs game and people are getting pissed off because you had the audacity to stand up during play like stand up on a how, breakaway how, to win the game how, how lame if that's your hockey attitude that you have to sit there in your seat what are you nuts? You have to you know how much sit? money? You know how much money people pay for these tickets? If I want to stand up, I'm going to stand up. Dude, you were supposed to sit until the puck is in the oh net. Is what we were told. It's like, man, I bought a Shut plane up. ticket and flew in here, and you know, got here just in time for puck drop. I'm going to cheer the entire time that there is something to cheer for. And I love this about T-Mobile. They even said on the jumbotron last night. The guy was like, "Hey, everybody, stand up. I don't, I don't care if there's nothing to stand up for. Stand up and start cheering. Get loud." And, and I love that about Vegas. Vegas cheers when there's nothing in particular going on. Anytime there's a breakaway, everybody stands up. You know what? The wave breaks out. I love it. The beach ball breaks out. We got the guy. There's a, a new fan this year who's wearing the big flamingo inner tube, and he's in the audience every – I love that stuff. I, I want to see more of it, and I hope – and it seems like Seattle wants to embrace a little bit more of that different sort of attitude towards hockey and rather than be traditional. And frankly, they have to. Yes. It's a new market. They're going to have to. They're competing against all the other major sports there. And by the way, the other thing that's kind of set the tone, uh, as opposed to the lame-ass Mariners, the soccer team there does really well. Totally. Because they have this you know, intense freaking – it might be a small following, but they show up. And they got the the march to the arena. It's a whole city the, – the whole city seems to embrace it by what I've seen on TV and 
God, what did I see them on 60 Minutes a couple years ago about the march to the arena for the game and all the people and the businesses and the community that all buys in. So, hey, I think Vegas is doing everything right. And all the salty traditionalist fans who say, hey, this isn't a nightclub. Turn down the music. Hey, put the beach oh ball away. God. Hey, sit down in your seats and be quiet. Hey, I want to hear the puck hit the stick. Like, go go somewhere else. Go back to Canada, man. Like, I'm not hearing that. You know what? T-Mobile has its own identity. And, you know, it seems to have built off of what was going on in Nashville to another level. And I've heard Nashville's pretty rowdy and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Good. Let's let's keep let's build it that way. If they want to be a top three sport, then they need to attract right. more people. It's funny you mentioned Nashville. I saw last week uh, the Knights were busting on Nashville and Nashville uh, put up a fake flag because, you know, they get busted all the time about hanging flags for whatever fourth place uh, division finishes. And they put up a sign basically the same as that fan just said that this is why everyone hates Vegas. Right. Which is hilarious, yeah. Because what does Nashville call itself? Yeah, Nash Vegas. Nash Vegas. Yeah. You hate us. You love us. <laughs> You're jealous. What do you mean you hate us? And and here's the thing. One of the other points that I think people will make all the time, and this is locally, as if it's some sort of dig. Hey, when the Knights don't win, let's see where the crowds are. Yeah, that's the standard that essentially has been set here. You don't win. You're not at the top of the list in terms of entertainment then people aren't going to go. And that actually is the way it should be. All these piss-poor organizations, they know they can count on fans showing up, whether they try or not. The Canadians haven't been really good for years. Right. The Leafs have been frustrating as you know what for years. Yeah, fans, I mean. Fan, but fans show up. I mean, at least the Leafs are trying. At well, least no, the, Le the Leafs definitely try. And, and Canadians do this, you know, last couple of years. But I'll say this, like, I don't want to be – you know, the Cubs organization of my youth, the 80s and 90s Cubs, which were selling out Wrigley for a last place team all the time. And then the ownership knew they were going to get the support, knew yep. they're going to get the dollars and didn't spend and didn't try to win. I want to be a fan base that holds their ownership accountable. Now, for me, based on year one, based on them being here as the first professional team to invest in this community, they've got me. They've got me for life. I'm going to pay them back. You know, I'll be there if this arena ever gets empty. I don't know if it if it gets to that to that spot, but I'm in for life just just based on what they've done for this community. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. Uh, like we were saying, stop being stiffs. Ari, am I accurate in this? You just had a call from someone saying there was uh, implications, potential injuries with the beach ball. Beach balls are at lots of different games. I'm sure someone's not going to skate into a beach ball. They would stop play. Stop. Yeah, stop. I think it's, I think it would be a penalty but uh, on, on the Golden Knights, but that's cool. I should note he's from Detroit, so, you know, that says a lot for the Which fan used to be Hockey Town, USA. Exactly. Now Hockey Town is Las Vegas. That's right. They actually should just steal the brand. The... Detroit got so embarrassed with how bad the Red Wings are, they actually took it off the ice. Let's take it. Oh, did they? Yeah. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, they don't brand them. The last three years, they got rid of it. Oh. They don't brand themselves Hockey Town. Let's go. How embarrassing. This is everything that is great about the United States, Las Vegas. Let's steal the Hockey Town. Yeah, there we you go. You don't want beach balls. You don't want the wave. You don't want loud noises. You don't want freaking swords. 
You don't want air horns. You don't want cheerleaders. You don't want drums. Up yours. Yeah. We're taking it. And to Nashville, up yours too. Stop calling yourself Nash Vegas. <laughs> Your city is lame compared to you. No, I, I'm going to encourage – hey, they're just giving a little tit for tat online. I like it. You know what? They're just trying to we, – we've got some – Angry! You know, we have some of the best uh, uh, team Twitter out there, yeah. and so I think they're giving it to us too. That's good. That's Actually, good. I do like Nashville. Yeah, so. me too. Yes, I've had good times there. But it's not Las Vegas. No. Not at all. All right, so let's get into uh, what's going on with NIL. Uh, Texas, Governor Abbott. We'll get to some of the other stuff going on in Texas that's kind of important. Not saying NIL shouldn't be on the top of his list. Near it, maybe not the top. But anyway, uh, Abbott just signed through uh, name, image, likeness. So now the Texas schools can be on par with uh, schools in states like Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and several other states. This is real interesting. I want you to listen to uh, Justin. I want you to listen to Mark Few, the coach of Gonzaga, who was begging the feds last week. He's like, we've got to get organized here because this is going to be freaking Armageddon if different states have different rules. We need your help. At this point, this is not an issue the NCAA or individual states can fix. We can't run competitive fair championships if every state has a different rule. And state NAL laws go into effect in less than a month. Yeah, well, I mean... That's not accurate. The NCAA can do something about it, right? They can institute nationwide laws that are in line with the most favorable state law. They can why, do that. why was Mark Emmert in front of the congressional hearing last week, like throwing his hands up? Yeah. We can't you, do anything. We have no money. We dude, you've had decades to yep. figure this out. You, the O'Bannon lawsuit started decades ago, and you fought it tooth and nail, and then it happens, and you act like, wait a minute. We didn't. We're not prepared for this. We didn't know this was coming. And you know, the, the funny thing on Mark too is we didn't put that part of the cut in. But he actually he prefaced all of this by saying, "I can't believe we're here. I'm embarrassed to say that we're here. That we need your help. Yeah. We should have done something about this a long time ago." That's one of the biggest, one of the biggest coaches. I would say one of the biggest name, Mark Few of Gonzaga, saying we blew this. Well, please. And, and he was, came out and said, "I'm totally in favor of players profiting from the awesome. name image likeness. Yep. They should be able to do autograph signings. They should be able to do commercials. They should be able to to profit off of their name in any way. But we need help so that the we understand what the rules are across the board. And to, my answer to that, if I was in that congressional hearing, is can't the NCAA look at all the states, whatever the law is the most favorable to the players." institute that across the board well why why don't you think they want to do that because they don't want to do the one that's the most favorable course, to the players so so sorry we don't have to do something we do not you have a solution in your hands right now you could do it and you're choosing not to because what you want the congress to do is you want us to institute rules that are less favorable to the players mm -hmm. and more predictable for you that protect your bottom line that protect all of your people and the bureaucracy that you've created that's what you want sustainability on profitability on amateurism that's what you want i love the way this is unfolded me too because i just mentioned the states that have jumped on board you'll remember those are the states with coaches and fans that were most against all of this in theory, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Saying, hey, the whole system's going to come crumbling down. But even they got to a point where they're like, oh, crap, it's coming. We want to win. We're going to do whatever we can to benefit our schools. Right. So they made the adjustment instantly, instantly yeah. but when, when it was obvious, like, hey, we got to do this. Let's be at the front. Let's kick ass. Texas, Alabama, Louisiana have all made NIL laws. Um, Florida, Mississippi. It, it, it's it's all oh, it's the SEC. It's the SEC. 
I mean, California they, was they, way they, ahead of the curve. They made laws before they made laws before O'Bannon right, was did. finalized. Yeah. They said, you know what, this isn't right, and and everybody freaked out in the NCAA, right? Well, California can't be part of the NCAA. They're going to have to go do their own thing, to which California said, cool. <laughs> We're cool with that. Yeah. You know, well, the California championship, give it, give whatever. Give it a try. See yeah. how it works. And next thing you know, here we are. You know, what was that? That was four four years ago. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and, they, and the NCAA couldn't get it together. Like, I think I remember being on the show four years ago and say, what would I do? I would go and I would create a set of laws, a draft set of laws, and go to each state legislature and say, please pass this. Here's the laws as a uniform law in each state. Can we all pass this? And then it's this favor. It's favorable to everybody. It's fair and and sell it. And they never did it. They didn't draft their own law. They didn't. You know, all they did was try to fight the laws that went in and said this can't be. They never came up with a solution, and they still are not coming up with a solution. Emmert's in front of Congress going. I don't know what the parameters need to be, but we need parameters like limit how much money they get and what they can do. Why? What's the logical reason why? Why do we have to do that? Justin Watkins, fired up today. I love it. Battle more injury lawyers, 5709,000. All right. So uh, interesting situation in Texas where, you know, when sports comes up, you know, at the highest level of government, a lot of people are like, hey, we got more important stuff to deal with. Boy, Texas had all those issues with the bad weather, the bad winter weather. And just a couple of weeks ago, they're like, we're good. We got it fixed. And now we're starting to see, as we're going to see in a lot of states with the warm weather, now, Texas may have issues again with the weather in the other direction where a lot of the power plants are offline. So I wonder what's going to happen here. And you can explain it again. Texas wanted energy independence, and that's why they were kind of out in the cold, pun intended. They got no help because they, they, this is essentially what they want. These are the dangers of being uh, you know, truly independent. They privatized their electrical grid is what they did. They, they allowed profiteering for electricity. And when you do that for a necessity, well, you put yourselves in some crosshairs. And when you try to put some boundaries on it, as they have recently, to ensure that the grid moves forward, but you still are have an open energy market, then you're going to have some energy producers who are going to say, you know what? I don't like that market. Not profitable enough for me. Mm-hmm. Shut her down Shut for down. a couple yeah. weeks. Yep. Right? We, they can't do that here. We have, yes, there is a private industry that does run the energy in Nevada, but that is statutorily guided, meaning they have to get approval for everything that they do through the PUC. They are guaranteed a profit margin of 10%, and any investment they do in the infrastructure and all that has to be approved. So it is a public-private, it is a, a monopoly that is, that is state-legislated. And so we have one of the most reliable grids here, You'll remember there was energy choice that was on the ballot. It passed the first time. It would have had to pass a second time to be instituted into the Constitution. It was defeated the second time, largely because Envy Energy came to the table and said, here's all the things we're willing to do to ensure rates stay low and that renewable energy is a part of the grid. And so that's how the the private public's supposed to work. What's happening in Texas, that's what happens when it's a complete open market for a, a basic necessity of energy. So it's likely we could have another case where someone gets a $80,000 bill for, because that, that's what happened during that winter crisis with heating where someone got some outrageous bill. So I think that that's, I think you're not going to see that. And that's really? why everybody's shutting down, right? I think they put some oh, guardrails on it. They don't okay. want to get sued again. And right. now they're saying, well, you know what? If I can't surge during this time and my energy costs more, shut it down. 
Teach wow. them a lesson. Not good. Uh, this one's a really thorny story, but as I read it, hey, doesn't matter what your feelings are. I don't think what your feelings are on uh, what happened in this case or which side you're on and how their sides. Uh, but this has to do with the invasion, the attack on the Capitol. There was a uh, protester there, uh, Ashley Babbitt, who was killed mm-hmm. by the police. The family is looking to get the investigative files, so they're suing to get the investigative files. And while there's a lot of people who are like, nope, tough luck, too bad. You're doing something wrong. Should they get a look at the investigative files? Yes. Of course they should, they should. right? Yeah. Yeah. This is government. This is one of those cases where there, there can't be a side. No. We have, they work for us, right? The police force works for us, especially D.C. It's federally provided, right? Mm-hmm. D.C. police, which is our federal tax dollars that pays for that, they work for the public. And any of their things that don't affect national security, they should be subject to Freedom of Information Act. The family submitted a Freedom of Information Act request. It was ignored. Yep. They absolutely should get it. You know, I can't sit up here and talk for well, however many years we've been talking about, about body cam footage should be produced. We need to see it in a timely fashion right off the bat. And then on the other side, when it's, you know, part of an event that I don't like, say, nah, screw them. They don't get it. No, Absolutely. Public records should be public records and accessible to the public, and it should be done so immediately. None of this waiting, you know, five months on a Freedom of Information Act and then having to sue somebody to get it. You shouldn't have to do that, and there should be some ramifications for ignoring the Freedom of Information Act request. Be careful out there as things get busier, right? right. When people come to town, it also means that the scammers are back out. A uh, story came across the last couple of days. Trio accused of six-figure th- uh, theft from a Las Vegas hotel room. It was around the Virgin and Serene. And then uh, what's the name of the other place right down the road there? Uh, is it Holiday Inn? Whatever it is. I, I know one of my old partners used to live there. But anyway, uh, yeah, there was some guy in from out of town, actually a group with a bunch of valuables. And he got hooked up with some lady. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, their room at uh, Virgin was burglarized to the tune of like $140,000. Yeah, this is a, a a sad and what seems to be growing trend of what's going on down at the Strip and uh, in neighboring areas and hotels. And, you know, I, I hope that this gets addressed. Um, I mean, I certainly God. would want to know what's happening. We're, we're having all the law enforcement come to the state for funding. They are part of the room tax hike, saying what we needed. I want to know how that's being apportioned and what's being do, done to address these kinds of issues. You know, um, maybe it is underfunding. I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't seem like that that is a hot button issue that's being addressed in a public forum right now. It may be, maybe they're having all these yeah. conversations privately, but there is not any, any, any hearings happening publicly for us to know as citizens of the state, what's going on to protect the, you know, ourselves and the visitors. And we talked about this a month ago because there was, you know, some high-profile break-ins of, like, when, yep. and this stuff gets out around the region and is not good for a reputation of Vegas as we open back up. That's right. Not good for the reputation. Not good for the citizens who have to live here. Not good for the people who have to work down on the Strip. You know, you don't want to be in these dangerous situations. And so, you know, hopefully it gets addressed, and, and hopefully we can, you know, like I said, have some public hearings on what's going on and actually be public about it. The 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 natural reaction of the resorts and the police forces, we can't let this out because then, you know, news will pick it up and now they're getting think it. It's, but they're it's happening it, anyway. Because that, that was, yeah. that seemed like that was the, the way, you know, the way of the world in Vegas for, you know, whatever, the 70s, 80s and into the 90s. You yeah. just keep it secret. It's never going to get out. It's going to get out. It's going to get out. It's out. It's out.
people are hearing about it. You know, my, my in-laws in New York are like, hey, man, I'm hearing about all this stuff. You know, New York Times reports really? a lot about stuff about Vegas. Oh, man. You know, a lot of visitors from New York here. So there's often uh, articles in the New York Times about these kinds of things. And so they've asked us about it. What do you think happens tomorrow in the game? I think, I think the Golden Knights win again. I do. Um, you know, I think that they know the importance of holding serve at home. I think that, uh, you know, that second and third period is in line with how the Golden Knights want to play. Um, and I don't know what, I don't know enough about the Canadians to know what other styles they can play, but the style they were trying in game one is, I don't think the answer no. to how to play the Golden Knights. Five seven zero nine thousand battle worn injury lawyers. Justin, we appreciate it. All right. Thanks guys. Up next, Dave Koken on baseball and uh, what are we going to do from a gambling standpoint on this uh, sticky situation? Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. From the draw, they score! It's a shot from Theodore out high. Vegas strikes first. First goal of the playoffs. It might have been tipped in front, we'll see. But Theodore ripped it from out high. Vegas takes a 1-0 lead. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Shea Theodore. Oh boy, if he starts playing well, and he started playing well at the end of the Av series as well, but now you're seeing some uh, production in terms of goals. That was awesome last night. Big key, getting the Knights out to a, a good start, one nothing, and actually winning a game one, which uh, certainly makes series a lot more easier. Dave Koken checks in. We talk some baseball every week with Dave, of course, from our DC and the Sunshine Man podcast. And Dave and I did a show for four or five years, just a few years ago. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Very good. Uh, enjoying myself uh, with golf and bas- uh, baseball and uh, hockey and even some NBA playoffs if nothing else is on for me. Let's talk about uh, game one of the uh, series between Montreal and VGK. What were some of your big takeaways? What do you think? Well, the Canadians played a great first period. Um if you look at the expected goal metric, they were at 1.8 and the Knights were at 0.3. But mm-hmm. Flory, uh, Flory can change. He, he can uh, he can ruin metrics, and he did so in that game. And the problem for the Montreal is they just don't have the size, uh, I don't think, to compete for 60 minutes with the Golden Knights. So Montreal's got to get off to fast starts in games and hope that they can hold on at that point. So the Golden Knights tremendously superior in the second and third periods. And I think you're going to see more of that as the series continues. So... Tomorrow night for the Canadians, it's just imperative that they get on the board first. And they'll have a good shot to do that. Uh, even with the one nothing lead after one period yesterday, the Golden Knights have only been ahead uh, one nothing in five of their playoff games so far. They've generally been coming from behind. So I wouldn't be surprised if Montreal goes out and plays a good first period tomorrow. But after that, probably going to be mostly Knights. All right, so what do we do with the game tomorrow night? Knights are 270. Uh, how do you bet the game? I'm going to take my chances with plus 185 on Montreal in the first period. I think that's where they're at, going to be likely to be at their best. And you're getting almost a two-to-one return. I think that's not a bad investment. Pretty decent value at that price. Surprise the total ticked down a little bit. It's now at five from five and a half. Do you think it's going to be a low-scoring game? Well, I just don't know that Montreal's going to be able to get much past Fleury. I, outside of that whiff he had uh, at the end of the first period in uh, what was it, game five, I think, against Colorado. I mean, the guy's been, or game six, actually. Um, he's been incredible. Uh, and he, I'm, I'm not, 
I just don't think the Canadians can get a lot of offense against this team. So if you like the over, you're expecting the Golden Knights to score a bunch of goals. And that didn't happen last night. I mean, they got four, but they couldn't even get an empty netter with four minutes of empty net play in the third period. That was a tough beat for over players who probably figured they were locked in once the Canadians pulled their goalie early. Coke and Unplugged, he brings a hammer. Beginning of each and every week, he's on a Tuesday here on Cofield and Company. So you and I started talking about this uh, cheating scandal with the sticky stuff and the pitchers and, you know, the improved pitching out there. So baseball finally makes a decision. They've got some sort of 10-game suspension. If they catch someone, it's going to start next Monday. Basically a warning, stop doing this. This is, I, I would have to think this is going to change some betting when you're looking at starting pitchers and you're looking at certain guys who have just been just crazy good for where they've been in the past. I guess, uh, but I, I don't know. I have no idea what the impact's going to be. Uh, you would think there's going to be more offense, um, but I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. The, the, the thing is that a lot of pitchers who are in the major leagues now are young pitchers who've been doing this since, they, since before they turned pro. So I wonder what impact that's going to have on them. One thing, I, I, I'd be a little worried if I'm a batter uh, and I'm facing a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and the guy Ooh. can't grip it. Yeah. Uh, that's just... I wouldn't be real comfortable with that. Yeah, I noticed uh, someone started tracking the spin rates, and uh, one of the guys they pointed out, I think it was uh, yeah Burns, Corbin Burns, and you know that that Milwaukee staff. Yeah. Like, what do you expect from those guys? Not even based on this. I mean, it's almost a ridiculous question. Like, can Burns, Peralta, and Woodruff keep it up? They're all sub two ERA. I mean, they've got they've got to regress a little bit, no? Yeah, I would think so, uh, especially when the roof is open every day at that ballpark because the ball really carries there. Uh, when the roof is open, not so much when it's closed. Uh, I there should be some regression, and I'll off, I'll be you know, I'll I'll throw the other red flag out there. Can any of these guys stay healthy? I mean, Tyler Glass now is gone now, and uh, I suspect we're not going to see him the rest of the season. Uh, partial tear, okay. Uh, it's 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 still a tear, and you know I, that's what we heard with Chris Sale a couple of years ago, and he eventually had to have Tommy John surgery. A uh, real tough break for Tampa Bay. That's of all, as much balance and depth as they have. That's probably the one guy they can't afford to lose. By the way, did you see what he said? He actually, yep. yep, he blamed he blamed it on the sticky stuff being taken out of the game. He said, "I threw eighty something innings, and you just told me I can't use anything. I have to change everything. I truly believe one hundred percent. That's why I got hurt. I'm frustrated. MLB doesn't understand. You just can't tell us to use nothing. It's crazy, and it's." Like, neither one of us are pitching experts and, you know, spin rate experts and stick them experts, but we do know this. Rob Manfred, there's just – there. I don't know if, if it's if it's willful ignorance or they're just idiots. There are so many times where you're like, God almighty, Manfred, you just come off so weak. Well, it's it, – look, if you're going to input this, you input it at, before the season starts. Yes. Okay? You just can't do it in the middle of the season. I don't think it's I, – I think it's going to be a disaster. Uh, I think you're going to see lengthy, even lengthier games with pitchers being checked. Um, You don't change change horses in the middle of the stream. Uh, This isn't something new. This has been going on for some time. They've had ample time to to address it, and now they're doing it in the middle of June. Um, But that's Manfred. I've said this before. I think he's the worst commissioner in the history of sports. Which is unreal because we thought, you know, at times the guy who was before him set the standard, and now Manfred's blown him away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just awful at his job. Uh, I'm not saying I could be any better at it, but I'm not trained to be the commissioner of sports. At least I wouldn't make a decision this stupid. 
Uh, because it, to me, it really is an, an idiotic decision to be putting it in place in, in June. Put it in place in the offseason so that every pitcher in the game knows going to spring training, this is the way it's going to be, and they can work on stuff in spring training. Glasnow is saying, hey, look, I had to grip the ball a lot tighter last night, and that's what led to the injury. I, and I, I can't I, – I don't know if that's accurate or not, but he sure thinks it is. Yep, and a bad story for the Rays, who are one of the best stories in – all of baseball. So what are you doing with your first five? Uh, have you come up with this? I mean, I know you've been rock solid, but any any new developments on your first five betting? Well, you know, it, it, this is a good thing to track, by the way, because there's some teams have been really good in first five innings and really profitable, and some others haven't. Um, and it, it's something to check out. Look, I one of the I started doing this really last year on a, on a very frequent basis. I don't want to be involved with these bullpens. And my handicapping begins with starting pitching. So why not just take the bullpens out of the equation? I don't have to worry about managers leaving in pitchers to face lineups third time through the order, which often is when they get into trouble. I just bet first fives instead for the most part. There are exceptions where I'll go full game if I've got a decided edge in the bullpen, for instance. But for most, for the most part, I just go first five, and it's, it's worked for me pretty well. And I'll continue to do that until something goes wrong, I guess. Looking at a couple of games tonight, I'm not sure that the first five applies, but I, I do think there's interesting storylines. Uh, one, Houston has been just freaking raking the ball. Their lineup's ridiculous. They're 180. Uh, Gibson's on the mound for Texas, but McCullers is coming back after a layoff. How do you approach guys who are coming off a layoff? They usually do pretty well. More okay. often than not, they do well because they, they, you know, they're excited to be back on the mound. They're at least temporarily healthy, and they usually pitch okay. And McCullers is facing a bad lineup here. Um uh, Houston is it. You're right. They're just killing the baseball. But I mean, Kyle Gibson is having a great season. This would be a game where if I, well, I'm a little unsure of playing unders right now because of this new thing and yep. batting averages and slugging percentages have gone up in the past week. So I stayed away from it. Otherwise I would have been on the first five under in this game. Cause Gibson outside of that one awful start on opening day, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. And McCullers, when he's healthy, he's, he's just a terrific guy. Uh, you know, his game score average is very high. He's a strong pitcher. He just has trouble staying healthy. My Lord, Toronto. I mean, if Houston's, oh. you know, raking, I don't even know how you describe what's going on with Toronto right now. They're 122 um, against Florida here. Check that. Against the Yankees in just a couple minutes. Did you have any thoughts on Montgomery and Rio? Uh, Rio's uh, velocity is down a little bit. So I'm, I'm not sure he's completely healthy. Uh, I don't know what he had a glute issue, which certainly isn't isn't this, but he's just not not real sharp. Montgomery's been a luck charm for the Yankees. He's strictly an average pitcher. In fact, he's been well below average on the road, and yet the Yankees are four and two in his away starts and nine and three overall. So he's the guy they usually score for. I think you might see some runs in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's high scoring. Uh, Dave, if you were looking for teams to uh, see an uptick in the second half, am I crazy for thinking? there's going to be some value on the Orioles because we've got a ton of prospects who should come up in the second half. No, I, I, I don't necessarily think so because they can't pitch. Yeah. Um, you got to be able to get the other team out and they just can't do it. Uh, the Orioles are, I mean, they, it's just a patchwork pitching staff and now their best pitchers hurt. John means don't know how long he's going to be out. Uh, so no, I mean, the or and they're in a really difficult division uh, <laughs> facing all those, those powerful teams. They're just going to lose a ton of games. Last one, Dave. What are you doing with the U.S. Open this week? Well, I hope I'm as lucky as I was over the weekend. Uh, I played two outrights in the Palmetto. Uh, Garrick Higgo, the former UNLV 
player was one of them. I've kind of tracked him since he left UNLV and turned pro, and he's good. Uh, took a shot at 54-1. to one. Thought I was dead because I was six strokes off the lead going into Sunday, but he was the best of the chasers, and when the <laughs> leader collapsed, uh, he snuck home. So that was, that was my best score of the year in golf by a lot. U.S. Open, I think John Rahm's going to be tremendously motivated. We know he's in good form. Brooks Kepka is Mr. U.S. Open. He just plays extremely well in this tournament every year. Colin Marikawa is a guy who I think in any big tournament is a threat to win. And if you're looking for a longer shot, Will Zalatoris hasn't won yet in the PGA Tour, but he's got two top tens in the majors so far this year, a second and an eighth. And I think Torrey Pine suits his game pretty well. 50-1, to one, maybe not the worst long shot of all time. All right, Dave, good job, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you on Friday. Sounds good. There he is, Dave Koch, and wagertalk.com. It's wagertalk.com, 4 o'clock hours on the way. We're about 15 minutes away from our convo with uh, Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk. And uh, Willie, Willie Ramirez is going to sit in for a little while. Want to be part of the show? Tweet at Steve Cofield or call 702-364-1100.